Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. President-elect Donald Trump will nominate Nikki Haley to be his ambassador to the United Nations. She is a rising star in Republican politics and currently serves as the governor of South Carolina. She was a sharp critic of Trump during the primaries, yet he picked her to represent him at the United Nations. On the line with me to discuss Nikki Haley, her political background, her personal story, and her place in South Carolina and national politics is Andy Shane, the Columbia, that's the state capital, bureau chief of the Post and Courier newspaper in South Carolina. We have an in-depth conversation about the woman who will next lead the United States mission to the UN, and we discuss the experiences she had as governor that might suggest how she takes on her next role. Uh, One other political wrinkle that we did not discuss but is on the minds of people who follow national politics is that there may be a Senate seat in South Carolina opening up in 2019, and if so, political watchers speculate that she may vie for that position. And this, frankly, could be a good platform from which to run for president in 2024. Now, this is a long way off, but it's what the chattering class is chattering about, so I thought I would relay that to you. So some of you have asked me uh, to do an episode on some of Trump's cabinet picks, and this is one of them. Um, And we do have a a conversation in this episode about the role the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. plays in setting foreign policy. If you have not already done so, please do check out my Patreon page where you can become a sustaining member of the podcast and in return, get some fantastic rewards. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and click on the support the show link to learn more about the rewards you can receive if you make a recurring monthly contribution to this show. Help me bring you great episodes. And if you're listening in iTunes, there's a link in the description page of this episode. And now here is Andy Shane. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Nikki Haley is the daughter of Indian immigrants. I mean, that has shaped her life. She uh, was born in a uh, rural town in South Carolina, Bamberg. You can imagine uh, she was born in the 70s. We're coming out of segregation. Um, you know, uh, you know. There's, even though the Civil Rights uh, Act had been passed, it's obviously things tend to move maybe sometimes a little slowly here in the South. And you know, she faced uh, some of the discrimination that you would expect uh, being uh, being the daughter of of, of immigrants. Um, you know, she tells uh, several stories, uh, some of which were in her biography. You know, about people uh, looking at her differently, looking at her father differently because he was a Sikh who wore a turban. So. You know, it, 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 I think that, that that molded her, that shaped her uh, sort of her her 
uh, worldview uh, in a way. Uh, and at the same time, uh, to a certain degree, I think it also helped her understand how she needed to fit in here in South Carolina. You know, she was born um, uh, Nimrata Randawa, but her family uh, gave her the nickname Nikki, which apparently is uh, uh, Punjabi for uh, for little. Um, so while a lot of people think she adopted a uh, rather Americanized name, it's actually a family nickname. Um, you know, at the same time, she did was raised a Sikh, but she did uh, convert to uh, to Christianity before uh, before her marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's Methodist now, and she does um, do attend she does attend Sikh functions with her family, um, as well as of course she uh, does attend a Methodist church. And what um... so um, she's a, she's a little bit of a dichotomy in that way. And and what kind of family did you grow up in? My, I guess I, I take it that her her father was an academic and her mom was an entrepreneur of sorts. Yes, uh, exactly. They both were in academia. The, um, her father uh, stayed in academia. Her father, her mother, eventually migrated over to um, um, the, the the being being in retail, and eventually her father also joined the business as, as well. But the original the original reason they um, uh, you know immigrated over to the United States was so that he could be um, a uh, a college professor. Um, but you now they ended up uh, running a clothing store, a high end clothing store uh, that they eventually moved from uh, a smaller town to. Uh, a town just outside of Columbia. Uh, Nikki Haley was uh, expected to work in the store as a teenager. She was a bookkeeper, uh, and she, of course, uh, did other odd jobs in the store as well. So she she started at an early age working in the store. Um, she then went to Clemson University, uh, where she got an degree in uh, accounting, and where she also eventually met her husband. Um, she worked in the private sector for several years uh, and then went back to her family store to help uh, uh, basically run the books and accounting and to do whatever she can you do in a family store. Mm-hmm. Um, she says that, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the struggles that her store was going through with uh, regulations and rules and taxes led her to, for an interest in politics. She also said uh, Hillary Clinton obviously also inspired her a little bit, uh, according to her biography. And so she, um, you know, she decided to get into politics at an interesting time. It was uh, the mid-2000s. Um, we, uh, the legislature was, had been democratic, uh, like it had much of the South for decades, mm-hmm. but now was uh, solidly Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, also, some of the older Republicans had switched over from being Democrats to Republicans, so yeah. some people were... That's, that's, like, that's probably worth was. pointing out to, to UN people who are probably not as sure. steeped in uh, domestic oh, U.S. Sure. politics, yeah. that the, you know, the U.S. South was you know, the, the solid South, meaning solidly Democratic because Lincoln, of course, is a Republican. Um, so for, right. for generations upon generations, it was sort of a hereditary Democrat, even though obviously there's like a lot of racial animus and, and, and um, a lot of, of racial issues. And that started to flip uh, in the 1960s with the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 and, and Nixon's election, the Southern strategy. And, and so by the mid-2000s, that realignment had, had really more firmly taken hold. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 so she ended up, you know, she ended up deciding to run against the, at that point the um, uh, the person who had been in the legislature the longest, um, and she won a surprise election. I and very think, uh, at a young age, you know, right? Young, and she was a young age. Um, um, she would have been in her. She was in her thirties, and uh, and she, um, you know. I think that was sort of the beginning of the fresh face. Um, the idea that she she brought new ideas, she she brought uh, new concepts. Um, also, she was very personable. Um, you know, having watched her uh, at smaller events, I can uh, you know she is someone who works a room very well, who engages with people in in a in a very personable um, way, but not uh, you know not not at all um, where it feels fake, if you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Like I, a good I, politician. 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Like, like, like she's a good politician in that respect. She's a very good politician in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, um, and, uh, you know, you could sort of see where she, where she would be able to raise money for a campaign when she's a relative unknown, um, and she was successful. Um, now, now, she spent six years in our state legislature, and she didn't really make that big of a mark. She did, she did uh, uh, open the door for some more transparent voting. But for the most part, you know, not a lot of people who knew who Nikki Haley was when she decided to run for governor in 2010. Um, she was running against a congressman, uh, a former uh, state attorney general who also was a U.S. attorney. Uh, she was also running against a lieutenant governor. So um, she was the unknown entity uh, in, in this race. Um, and in the end, because it was 2010, that ended up actually really benefiting her. She got uh, swept up in the Tea Party um, uh, election, and that was, of course, an election where there were a lot of Republicans who just said, I'm tired of the status quo. I want somebody new in office. Um, and again, she was younger. She was a woman. She was, uh, again, she was the daughter of immigrants, so she obviously told a good story about how her family had mm-hmm. come over with very little money and been successful after that. Can I so, ask, uh, she, how did she yeah, yeah. end up winning the Republican primary? Because that's probably was the more decisive election, right, than the, yeah. than the, uh, the No, exactly. The and exactly. Democrat and these, these people election. I was describing, I'm sorry, and I should make it clear, the people she was running against, these were all in the Republican primary. I mean, she was fourth out of four, uh, really, a mo- even a month before the election. She was helped by a couple of things. One of them was a, a, a scandal, I hate to say it, uh, is, is that um, there was a, a, a blogger, who claimed that he had an affair with her? Um, he had no proof of it. Um, I, she got, um, you know, as much as there were people who may have said, "Well, I believe it." There were more people who seemed to say this was someone attacking a woman, um, and uh, obviously without any any foundation. Um, and from that, she also uh, got a visit from Sarah Palin, who was uh, the vice presidential nominee in 2008, the Republican vice presidential nominee. And it was a, an event that really helped um, galvanize that, that, again, that outsider support, because, again, um, um, Governor Palin was also seen as, a, as an outsider in the party. And, and uh, that really uh, gave her that spark in that last month. And, and she ended up making uh, she ended up uh, winning her party's nomination. I mean, did she embrace like the Tea Party ethos or did more or is more that like the Tea Party kind of embraced her because of her outsiderness. Uh, I think it's it, it was it was a little bit of both. I think at that point she was try, you know she had been um, uh, sort of uh, pushed outside of of the mainstream Republican leadership in the state house when she was representative because she had pushed for more transparent voting. So she felt like an outsider, and of course I think again that's that's part of the narrative of her life is that she has. You know, <clears throat> been the outsider both in her um you know in her upbringing and 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 her family as well as obviously everything else that's gone on in her life so um you know that's something that she embraced and of course again the voters saw in her because she didn't have that track record of being um the former republican the part you know one of one of the one of the candidates was the uh head of the republican party at one point in the state and again one of them had been a congressman who had been there a while and another one had been a former lawmaker who was now the the, the lieutenant governor so they these were establishment people mm-hmm. these are people who were not going to change the status quo and here is this um state representative who had been in office for just 6 years done a couple of good things and uh she was going to shake things up and and so it's, did she govern as kind of a or or even campaign as you know a traditional conservative republican you know uh, anti-abortion um you know socially conservative um probably sort of anti-union um you know in sort of the, the kind of traditional ways that you would frame a a sort of conservative republican from the south Did oh. she kind of tick all the boxes 
Oh, very much so. She she did, and especially the anti-union. And you know, again, her accounting background, her business background—that's what she really pushed. Was that she had the knowledge and the know-how to uh, to to get the state back on track. I mean, again, 2010, we're coming off of the the huge recession that that had gripped um, obviously the globe, um, and um, she was pushing that that know-how, that knowledge to uh, to 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 get herself into office. Um, and she was, of course, very much anti-union. In fact, she continued that very hard uh, even when she was into office, uh, making even jokes about how she would put her boot heel down on unions. Um, and we, of course, have a very low uh, uh, union participation rate uh, in South Carolina. I believe it's the second or third lowest. Uh, we usually are, are, are in the bottom three. Um, and so, you know, she, she checked all those boxes um, and, uh, and, 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 and won a, a fairly, still a fairly competitive general election just because she was not a, 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 as known an entity. And I think also, you know, you, you hate to say it, it's the South, and there may be some people who just didn't want to vote for a woman or some mm-hmm. people who didn't want to vote for uh, someone who was a second generation uh, in this country. Um, so uh, she had a little bit of a battle um, on her hands, mm-hmm. and, but again prevailed, uh, came into office, um, so- made some missteps in her first years. So can, can, can I can I ask uh, on some issues that might be of interest to to you on watchers like where she stands? So um, on, on the issue of climate change, I mean, where does she fit on on the spectrum of you know either climate change denier? Like like has she it, you know embraced the science or or, or I, how does she how has she um, like interacted with with the issue of climate change to the extent that a governor of South Carolina might? Yeah, I don't think we've asked her ever really directly. Do you, you know, do you believe in climate change or do you not? But she's been very. What I can say is that she's been very pro-business. She's very, you know, we've got to, we've got to, you know, kind of uh, ease some of these regulations. We've got to sit here and make it better for business to come to South Carolina to 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 grow and to prosper in the state. So, um, you know, while um, she's been. You know, uh, you know, attune on obviously the fact that that we have a coastline and we need to. It's the major source of money, tourism in our state. At the same time, she has embraced the idea of offshore drilling, uh, of looking at offshore drilling off the coast. So, you know, on some of these issues, while she's maybe not said anything directly to them, she has shown herself to be fairly pro-business, pro-commerce uh, when when push comes to shove. Um, and on uh, LGBT rights, that's that's another issue that's actually becoming a pretty prominent issue at the UN in in recent years. Um, the UN, you know, staff, the the General Secretariat, has sort of embraced, and then the current Secretary General, who's who's about to leave his office, has sort of embraced gay rights and LGBT rights pretty, you know, profoundly for someone who leads a diverse, you know, global coalition of, of countries um where where does she stand on on these issues to the extent that you know she's made her opinions and, and, and policies known sure um you know as far as lgbt issues have gone I, I, the best example i guess i could give is, is obviously the transgender bill that was passed in north carolina mm-hmm. um you know that the the idea that um uh that uh you know, we had uh, just in the state just north of us. You know, this 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 bill that was passed that a lot of folks have have protested against. You know, uh, 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 you know, rock stars won't perform concerts. We've yeah. had businesses that say they won't expand there. So the possibility was raised here of of that. In fact, there was an introduction of a bill. And she and I, I, I would just say that the, the bill please. says a lot of things, but but it does say that that you know you have to use the bathroom of your 
the gender that you were assigned on your birth certificate. Exactly. And, and the, actually, the genesis of the bill was also something that, that would allow also to, to extend some rights also to all the LBGTQ mm-hmm. community as well uh, in some of the cities. So, um, but that said, Governor Haley, when that issue came up, said, you know, we just don't need that here in South Carolina, which was, uh, you know, some people took as code for, well, we already take care of this in South Carolina, but was also really, I think, more code for we just don't need to do this and to hurt our business here. Um, that basically we have a community, a state that sort of cares and reaches out for folks. And, and while there are a lot of people in South Carolina who may not be pro-LGBT, um, at the same time, you know, she at least hasn't won a codify anything. Now, that said, you know, we have a constitutional amendment, um, and we, we were one of the states that passed a constitutional amendment that banned gay marriage that, of course, was overturned uh, when the Supreme Court overturned, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, allowed, excuse me, allowed gay marriage uh, nationwide. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, that said, we're, again, a bit of a contradiction in that sense that, that, that for the most part, um, our, our, our government has sort of said, well, we don't really like gay marriage, we don't do that, but at the same time, um, you know, we're not going to sit here and be so draconian as, as some other states, uh, recognizing, again, that we don't want to affect uh, business commerce here. So uh, as a politician, I'm, I'm a little interested in learning about her sort of political style. I mean, is she like a malleable politician, open to compromise, someone who, you know, perhaps, you know, thinks that compromise is necessary to avoid, you know, decent outcomes, even though they might not be all of what she would want in, say, a certain bill? Or does she kind of take that maximalist uh, approach where, you know, any compromise is is probably not worth it and sort of, you know, th- that that latter kind of, of of ethos disposition, you'll you see a lot in Republicans in the House of Representatives, particularly when they come from pretty safe districts that are safely uh, Republican. Um, but I, I wonder if she kind of takes a zero sum approach to politics or more of a, you know, willingness to compromise. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, and and I think to, and let me explain one thing. And and, and being the yeah. governor of South Carolina, um, we're a, we're we're a legislative do, legislate legislative sorry <laughs> dominated state. Um, so what it means is that actually the most powerful person in our state, or the people in our state, are the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate. Um, the governor is a fairly weakened position in our state. Now, some some states in the in the country, of course, the governor has much more power. Um, she doesn't. It's more of a soapbox. Um, you know, I'd like to. I'd like to sit here and, and support spending on this. I don't like the. I don't like spending on that. For instance, she has. We have a, a huge problem with uh, road maintenance and bridge maintenance. But one of the things that she has said clearly is, I don't want to raise the state fuel tax to help pay for it. She doesn't want to put that burden onto drivers. So, um, um, so she can sort of say what she thinks and what she wants, and she can make very good suggestions, but it's up to the legislature to decide whether they want to pay attention to her or not. Mm-hmm. Um, she has been, um, I think, more effective maybe uh, than some other governors, just because, um, first of all, she's, you know, she also has a Republican-dominated House and Senate as being a Republican herself um, as well, and, and so she, she get some some uh, some ability to be able to uh, to to listen to folks on that um uh the other the other piece of it is is that um she she sort of recognizes at times uh, battles that she'll be able to win and battles that she won't. Now, sometimes she will just go ahead and take a position against them, especially on spending if they she feels like they're spending too much or borrowing too much and she'll 
take them to task and she'll put their votes on her Facebook page or on Twitter to show, hey, this is who voted themselves a pay rise or voted themselves uh, to, to, to pass a budget that may uh, benefit something in their districts and that kind of thing. So she, she again, uh, being the governor, you, you, you get a very large soapbox, a very large microphone. But uh, again, it's up to our lawmakers to decide whether or not they're going to pay attention to her. Mm-hmm. So that said, it, it's, I, don't, I, I think it's going to be different in her, her, her in this, in the, as being an ambassador. Um, she's not, you know, of course she's going to have to sit here and listen to what her fellow ambassadors say. She's also going to have to deal with, of course, whatever the administration would like her to say or do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think she's adaptable in that way. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a, it's a different job. It's a different task. Um, you know, here sometimes it's been my way or the highway. Um, you know, I think... You know, she's um, astute enough to realize uh, what she is supposed to do and when is she supposed and how she okay. is supposed to um, uh, sort of uh, maintain a position on on on, it, on some things. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing though is that she's a she's a, a good communicator. Uh, she's a good problem solver. She has been through a number of crises, uh, everything from the Charleston Church shooting to hurricanes to mm-hmm. massive floods. Um, and so she has dealt with a, a number of crises and, again, um, has been very good at communicating through that. So one thing that's interesting about the position of U.S. ambassador to the U.N. is is that, you know, you are a, a cabinet-level position in, you know, national security foreign policy field. But when it comes to, like, priority foreign policy issues, those tend to be sort of decided at the White House. So, for example, you know, like Samantha Power is not deciding or has much influence on, say, like Syria policy. But when it comes to secondary or tertiary foreign policy priorities, you have a lot of leeway. Again, so for example, uh, Samantha Power um, helped to marshal a global response to a crisis unfolding in the Central African Republic and probably helped you know, pervert or avert uh, a genocide there. Um, the, the sort of position of the, the permanent, uh, representative, the, the UN ambassador can also sort of stake out kind of thematic issues or ideas that he or she would like to champion or prioritize throughout his or her tenure. And again, so for example, Samantha Power, her kind of big thematic issue since she's been in office is to support foreign NGOs who work in human rights and basically support civil society uh, groups abroad that are under threat from their own government. Um, I- I'm wondering, based on kind of what we know, what you know uh, about Nikki Haley, what sorts of, of ideas or, or issues might she be likely to, to champion as, uh, as the UN ambassador? You know, that, that's a difficult question to answer because of, of her limited um, experience or limited, uh, you know, uh, opportunities that she's had here in South Carolina to deal with foreign policy matters. I mean, as I've written, I mean, most of her, for, her foreign experience, of course, has been, you know, in economic development, trying to get uh, com- you know, foreign companies to come here, invest here, expand here, um, that kind of thing. So she's been focused on on those kinds of issues, and so it's it's difficult to get a read on, you know, how she would handle situations with Russia or with Syria or with ISIS or with Iran. Um, again, I think she'd be taking those cues from the White House and from the mm-hmm. State Department um, to a certain degree. I believe, of course, she is a woman of. Um, of great empathy um and of and 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 again she has worked hard in south carolina to for reconciliation uh, especially after after the 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 charleston church shooting which was you know uh where a white man shot um uh, nine african americans um you know at a church uh, while they were actually during a during a uh, a wednesday prayer service um 
so I could imagine that that, that human rights issues are going to be fairly big for her. Um, I could imagine that there would also be issues about economic opportunity in the mm-hmm. third, in, in 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 some parts of the world where maybe there isn't. Um, she's you know obviously being an Indian American, she has made a trade mission to India. She has met with the Prime Minister of India when he came here to the United States. So I could imagine also that opening up those markets or or, or developing mm-hmm. or, or working to improve. Um, you know the, the economic states of, mm-hmm. of, of of that part of the world. I, I could, I guess, again, I could imagine she would she would take care of. But again, because of that limited portfolio, it's hard to say exactly um, what she brings to that to, to the table. And that's what makes her different than you know any of the other nominees yeah. for this position. Is that normally they've had um, you know a diplomatic a State Department or even national security experience during the the, the campaign. She was critical of, of Trump. Yet you know Trump obviously. You know, appointed her or nominated her to be be the uh, UN ambassador. Um, she also is someone who likely has national ambitions. Um, it's not like a secret. You know, she is kind of always in, or she was rumored to potentially be a VP pick. Um, but you know, she is someone you know, with with the credentials at least to become a real solid Republican nominee for president one day. Um, Yet, I wonder if there is an incident, for example, where Trump may say something or do something that conflicts with perhaps her own values, like where or how she might draw that red line and how she might balance her future political ambitions with perhaps the necessity of like doing the right thing at at the moment. Yeah, that's an, and and I think that's a very fair and excellent question. I mean, she has said, I mean, as 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 uh, many folks know, she was critical of Trump during the campaign on several issues. One of the most notably, his uh, proposal for a temporary ban on Muslims, uh, in, you know, in, uh, immigrating into the United States, coming into the United States, while of course we try to sort of sort out the issue with uh, with terrorists. Um, and you know, again, being the daughter of Indian immigrants, she took great offense to this um, and called it an embarrassment. Um, she said that during her meeting with uh, Mr. Trump at, uh, well, President-elect Trump at uh, Trump Tower, that she told him that once again, I'll if there are things I don't agree with you, I'll agree with you, I will say so. Um, but for the most part, she you know, obviously is a Republican. She is someone who wants to obviously help the United States, help the administration. So she'll do what she can. But I, I would not be surprised at all if something uh, sort of comes out of left field and she feels strongly enough that she would say something or um, and maybe even publicly. Um, but at, for the most part, I think uh, she also will understand that her role in the administration is to do what the administration wants. And as long as it sort of stays within those lines, um, she'll do it. Uh, but again, this is not a person who's ever really shied away from being critical of, of people in her own political party. And uh, certainly, as, as, as we saw during the campaign, critical of now the president-elect. Uh, I don't expect that to uh, to, to stop, um, especially considering she and the president-elect were friends or were friendly before the campaign. Uh, you know, he donated $5,000 to a political group that supported her, you know, that he spoke highly of her before that. So it isn't like, you know, they've, they've, they've been at each other's throats for years. It was really a campaign um, uh, issues that came up during the past year, and uh, they've apparently, with the Trump Tower meeting, sort of let bygones be bygones, and and here we have uh, President-elect Trump uh, appointing someone who is very critical of him uh, to to the job at the UN, and um, and I think that's a sign again of of, of his willingness to sort of uh, move on from these things, and it's her willingness to sit here. And I think as she looks forward to obviously um, bolster a part of her resume that isn't very strong, her foreign relations, and she decides what to do next, whether that's uh, maybe run for the Senate or run for the presidency in 2024. 
Uh, all right. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time. This was incredibly helpful. Okay, great. Thank you for, thank you for uh, taking the time and having me. All right. Thank you all for listening. Some interesting times ahead for sure. And I'll be certainly following her work and her role as U.S. ambassador to the U.N. and compare and contrast it to how previous ambassadors have performed their duties and executed their functions. As always, please do feel free to get in touch with me via globaldispatchespodcast.com. There's a little contact button. And again, do become a sustaining member of the podcast. I really do need your support. So if you crave this podcast, if you missed the fact that I didn't post two episodes last week because it was Thanksgiving, if that upset you, that means you love the podcast. So so go ahead and, and make your contribution and make your feelings known. Thank you. Bye.